Good morning. Uh, I'm Scott Ashman. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And um, you probably saw in the announcement that um, Susanna Johnston, um, Tim and Hope's daughter, was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so really hold that family in your prayers. Um, it's uh, obviously a difficult time for them, and um, we just want to hold them up as a church family. And, and as you just heard, um, my, my father passed away on, on Friday. This is a tough, tough time to be preaching, um, but it was my turn, um, and I had this already prepared. But I, I want to thank you so much as a church for all your expressions of um, just uh, love and comfort for my family. Um, you are such a family to us. I mean, it's just amazing. Thank you. I watched my dad taking his last breaths on Friday, um, and it was a reminder that death is awful. You know, he was 89 years old. He, it, it was his time, clearly. Um, he was peaceful. He wasn't struggling. But there is nothing natural about death. It's, um, this was not part of God's creation. This came later. We, we were designed to be with him forever. And um, death is an enemy that came in later, after creation. And that's why it's such a privilege to talk to you about Jesus today. I mean, I, we're just clinging to Jesus right now. Um, he's the one who conquered death for us. We have no hope apart from Jesus, but the hope we have in Jesus is glorious, it's full, it's eternal. And I just, someone had said, are you really going to preach? And I, I just want to talk about Jesus today. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, this is talking about Jesus, by the way. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the background here is the Apostle Paul is um, writing from prison to a church in the town of Colossae, which was it's modern-day Turkey. Uh, and Paul's main reason for writing was to encourage the believers there and to refute false teaching that was working its way into the church. Um, Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail about exactly what that false teaching was, but instead he focuses on the person and the work of Jesus to say, Jesus is enough. All this other stuff, you don't need it. You just need Jesus. In these six verses that we just read, Paul uses the word he or him 12 times. Um, 
he also uses the word all seven times. There's, there's a theme here. When someone says the same word, you know, 12 times in six verses and, and another word seven times in, in, this, in those same verses, um, there's, there's a theme here. Um, it, the word all is very interesting, it, the definition of it. All means all. Um, it's popular in our day, in our culture, to hear things to say, you know, well, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. And that's fine. You know, here in America, we're free to believe whatever we want. It's legal. Um, but that's not where Paul is right now. Paul is saying that Jesus created everything, all things in the universe, whether you can see them or not, and whether you choose to believe it or not. It's all about Jesus. So here's the pattern of the passage. By him, through him, for him, in him, everything, all things. Let me try to break that down, try to make it, break it down to earth. Let me say it a different way. Nothing in this world makes sense apart from Jesus. See, if what Paul is saying is correct, you and I can't make sense of our lives somehow and exclude Jesus. We can't just take Jesus and kind of push him off into a corner and deal with all the other parts of our lives and then pick up Jesus every now and then when we feel like it. Our life ends up looking like a kind of a jumbled mess. Um, I mean, you can try, and we do, right? We, we do try to figure out how to make our lives work by ourselves apart from Jesus, um, but we're denying how the world really is. That's not how the world is. Everything came from Jesus. Everything is for Jesus. Everything is going to Jesus. And when we exclude him, we're just, you know, we're, we're living in some other universe. Let me try to illustrate this from astronomy. You guys know I'm an engineer, so I've got to get technical here. But, you know, throughout the story of hu- humanity, um, the belief was that the Earth was the center of the solar system. You know, that... Earth was there. It it seemed kind of obvious because everything rose in the east and set in the west every night. So it seemed like everything was going around the earth. That's kind of our view here on earth. But as um, astronomy improved, as mathematics improved, they tried to make that model work. And it wasn't working. Like, you know, they especially looked at, like, Venus and Mercury and said, this makes no sense. We can't make this model work. They kept trying to put Band-Aids on the model, but it wasn't working. And finally, an astronomer named uh, Nicholas Copernicus came along and proposed a different theory. Ah, the sun at the center of the solar system. And all of a sudden, it all made sense. They could explain why the planets were where, where they were and, and the fact that the Earth rotates around itself. And they had the model of truth. Whereas before that, they had some model that, that couldn't possibly be true. Okay, why, why am I talking about astronomy? Jesus Christ is the center of the universe. Next slide. Um, if you try to um, put anything else at the center, the model doesn't work. It falls apart. Um, when we try to make sense of life apart from Jesus, it can work for a little while, and we can, we can put band-aids on things. Uh, we can come up with all kinds of... Um, ways of dealing with life 
but I want to say it doesn't work. And I also don't want to be simplistic and just say, well, just believe in Jesus and everything will make sense. You and I know there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, it... Um, but when Jesus is at, the, is at the center of the universe, it's okay. You know, it, it makes a little bit of sense that everything doesn't make sense because we're not God. And so, um, but when Jesus is where he should be, we can, we can look at everything else in our lives and say, okay, I can, I can go with this because this is truth. And this is not just a once-and-done kind of thing. Um, you know, when I received Jesus as my Savior many years ago, um, I said, Jesus is going to be the center of my life. And, you know, since then, I have constantly allowed other things to take front and center, you know, and try to manage church and Jesus and, you know, and things don't go well. Um, and, and it's a struggle for all of us to constantly go, go back and just say, God, you are God. Jesus, you are Jesus. I have to let you control things and not, not me. And that's, a, that's something that all of us go through, um, whether we're a young believer or have been a believer for quite a long time. So we want to go through the passage uh, in Colossians. I'm just going to go through statement by statement and um, talk about it. So the first one, he is the image of the invisible God. The word Paul uses here is... Think of it like a photograph. Um, God is invisible. The Bible is clear. God is a spirit. He is invisible. You cannot see him. The only way to see God is to look at Jesus. Jesus makes God visible because Jesus put flesh on. We understand that. And it's easy to say, you know, God, just let me see you. Show me yourself, and, I, and I'm good. I do that. Just show me yourself. And God says, I did. His name is Jesus. You have eyewitness accounts of him. Look at him. And that's not new. Jesus' disciple, Philip, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus is talking to them, and I picture Philip just kind of interrupting him. And he said, Lord... Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus looked at him. I can picture it very lovingly, maybe a little exasperated. And he said, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? And that's, that's kind of our story, isn't it? We say, God, just show us to yourself. Show us yourself. He says, I have. So the way we see God is to dive deeply into the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing in this sermon series right now. John 1 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The next phrase is, the firstborn of all creation. And that, this is a phrase that has tripped up people for for generations. Firstborn, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus was born at some point in time? Um, but that's not what Paul is saying. And I don't think the original readers would have interpreted it that way. Uh, when Paul is talking about firstborn, he, he's, in that culture, the firstborn son was the ruler of the family. He was the authority. 
He was the, the inheritor of everything. So when Paul is saying Jesus was the firstborn of creation, it's not saying he was created. The rest of the passage makes it very clear that he is the creator. He wasn't created at any point in time. Um, actually, the, the NIV version of the Bible gets to the right sense of this, where it says he is the firstborn over all creation. He is, he is the ruler of all creation. The next phrase says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This was probably hard for, for Paul's readers to really understand when you think about it. I mean, they think of Jesus. He lived in Palestine, Israel, uh, for 30 years. You know, he, he was a great teacher. Um, he died. He rose again. You know, I mean, that, that's, you think of him very much as a man, I'm sure. And yet, Paul is saying he wasn't just a man. He, you know, he created all things, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, rulers, authorities, dominion. I mean, it was all made by him. And that, that's an amazing statement, you know, for, for people to accept that that rabbi was God in the flesh. It's not clear how the Trinity works. We'll never know. Hopefully we'll get explained when we get to heaven. But it seems like from these verses that the Son, God the Son, was the, the agent of creation. The one that, that the Godhead used to bring all things about. Jesus was right there and he was, he was acting as creator. Next phrase says, all things were created through him and for him. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Not only was the Jesus the agent, the doer of creation, but the creation was done for him. He did it, but it was done for him. We ask the question, why am I here? People have been asking that for a long, long time, right? All of us, why am I here? And the answer is, I am here for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. That is why we were created, was so that Jesus, the creator, would be glorified by his creation. Genesis says that we were made in the image of God. Almost like we, you know, we were designed to be mirrors, reflectors of God's glory. That people could look at us and see the glory of Jesus Christ. Because of sin, the mirrors are kind of dim most of the time. But that's our purpose. We were created for him to glorify him. The next phrase says, he is before all things. These these thoughts are just (laughs) way above us, aren't they? Um, You know, Jesus was having one of his disputes with the leaders of the the Jewish temple um, during his day in John chapter 8. And he said something that blew them away. Jesus was talking about how he... He knew Abraham. You know, Abraham had lived 2,000 years, something like that, before Jesus. And the Jewish leader said, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? It's a good question. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, you know, Abraham was born, he died, but I was never born. I will never die. I am the eternal son 
And the Jewish leaders didn't miss his, his meaning because immediately they picked up stones to stone him because that's what you did when someone claimed to be God. Jesus was claiming to be God. Um, and he was the only person who's ever lived who could make that claim and be true. The next one. In him all things hold together. Again, another fascinating statement. What does that mean? In him, all things hold together. Sorry, I'm going to get scientific on you again. Uh, many of you learned about atoms in chemistry class or, or uh, science class. And we know that atoms are made of three different kinds of particles, electrons, protons, and neutrons. Um, electrons have negative charge. Protons have positive charge. Neutrons have no charge. Um, and scientists forever have been trying to understand, how does an atom work? I mean, the, the electrons are in kind of orbit around the protons, um, and they're uh, negatively charged. So they, they should want to crash into the middle because negative things attract positive things. So it's kind of like a magnet, right? If you have a negative and a positive, they go together. So the electrons should crash into the middle, but they're moving so fast that they stay in orbit, Right? Sorry if this is above people's heads. I, th I think you all get this. But the nucleus is really a mystery because the nucleus is packed with positive protons, right? Positive things should not stay together. They should repel each other. They should all be scattering, you know, just like a positive part of a magnet and a po you know, two positive magnets. So the question is, why does the nucleus stay together? And this is, you know, a huge puzzle uh, for scientists and has been forever. But they, they came up with this term. They call it the strong nuclear force. Um, and they really don't know what causes it. But, uh, you know, at, at short little distances like that, the nuclear force actually holds things together um, far greater than magnetism that should cause them to separate. Um, and, and honestly, scientists to this day don't really understand how this strong nuclear force works. It is the strongest force known to man. I mean, that's how nuclear power and, sadly, nuclear weapons, that's, that's the force that's being harnessed um, in, these, uh, in these things. So where's, where am I saying that, that? Well, the bottom line is, the Bible says, in him, Jesus, all things hold together. Um, somehow, Jesus is at the center of all of that. And if Jesus were to say the word and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let, let that force go, well, I think the whole universe would probably just kind of evaporate or, or disappear. But it's Jesus who holds all things together. Just an amazing thought. Next, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. The head. In your body, what does the head do? It directs everything, right? Your muscles do not move without your head. You, your heart doesn't beat. Your lungs don't breathe without the head, right? And even in the head, there's this thing called the pituitary gland that causes growth. The reason children grow from little to big is because something in the brain is directing that growth. And that's the picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus directs everything in the church. It's um, what happens and it's growth it's all under Jesus' control. When I first looked at this thought, I thought, you know, 
Paul is talking about creation and, you know, these amazing things. He's like, he's the head of the church. And say, like, well, gee, that, that seems a little a letdown in my mind at first. I'm thinking, well, okay, so now Jesus is the head of a human institution. You know, it's like kind of, kind of so what? I mean, I know I'm being a little heretical there. Um, but then I started thinking, what is the church? It, it's, it, it's, it's all of you, you know, and, and the universal church, all the people around the world that call Jesus Lord, and it's all of the people who have ever lived, who have put their faith in Jesus, uh, looking forward to Jesus in the Old Testament and looking back to Jesus uh, ever since. Uh, that is the church. Um, and the Bible says amazing things about the church. Sometimes we don't take ourselves very seriously. I know I don't. Um, but, you know, it says the church is made up of people from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages, they have everyone who has their names written in the Lord's book of life. And in Revelation, you know, the church is called the New Jerusalem, the eternal city. You are the bride of Christ, and you've been given the glory of God. He's making us to be a people that shines like diamonds, like gemstones. Um, you, the church, are built on the foundation of God's chosen people, Israel, and the foundation of the 12 apostles. Um, we are a city whose streets are made of gold. That's not just heaven. He, he's really talking about the church, who God is refining us to be. Um, you know, it, it says that one day when the church is fully gathered together, there will be no sun, no moon to shine on it. Don't need it because Jesus will be there and Jesus will give light to us. It, it's a glorious thing. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Glorious. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Next it says he is the, he's the firstborn of the dead. Paul uses that word firstborn again. Again, he's saying Jesus was the first person to ever rise from the dead. He, he wasn't. The prophet Elisha had raised people to, from death to life. Um, Jesus himself raised uh, the widow of Nain's son and Lazarus. So he wasn't the first person to ever rise from the dead. But he is by far the greatest. The, the one who precedes all of us. And he is the one who is most glorious of all those who have ever risen from the dead. And all of us, because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, gives confidence that we also will be with him. And we also will have a resurrection. The death will not be the final word over your life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Death will be a doorway into eternity. And I'm so thankful for that. The next phrase says that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, you look at that word preeminent, and it's kind of one of those highbrow words, right? You know, scholars talk about he is the preeminent professor in his field. You know, we use the word preeminent that way. Or, or uh, she is the preeminent violinist of her generation. Um, we don't really talk like that, do we? Um, but Paul says in verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
And again, let me say that in a way maybe that is a little more down to earth that we can really relate to. But I also want to say it in a way that maybe um, you and I have trouble actually backing up, actually believing. And this is what I think it means. Ready? Jesus is better than anything. Right? And you might say, well, I, I believe that. Sure, Jesus is better than anything. I believe that Jesus was the greatest one who ever lived. He's God in the flesh. He, he died. He rose. I, I believe that Jesus is better than anything. But let me ask you a question. If Jesus really is better than anything, what are you presently living without because Jesus is better than anything? Or what are you willing to live without because of Jesus, if he really is better than anything? For example, if Jesus required you to live without an iPhone or a Galaxy or a Pixel or any kind of smartphone, could you do it? And you say, well, I probably could, but Jesus wouldn't ask me to do that. Maybe. <laughs> um, what if Jesus, what if serving Jesus, because he's better than anything, um, caused you to radically change your economic lifestyle? What if Jesus, uh, following Jesus meant that you could never own a home or buy a car? Would you live in poverty just to be with Jesus? You know, is he really better than anything? And it's the question, you know, I have to ask myself, is Jesus really better than anything or not? Uh, and I, I struggle with that, you know, because life is good. There's a lot of things that, that, that I love about life. Um, and there's so many competing priorities. So let me just ask you some questions that came to my mind. Um, is Jesus really better than money or a fancy house or a fancy car or a fancy girlfriend or a fancy boyfriend? Um, is Jesus really better than going to nightclubs and the feeling you might get from getting drunk or getting high? Is Jesus really better than the thrill of setting a new high on a video game like Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto or Fortnite? Apparently is the big one these days. Um, is Jesus really better and worth more than a college education? Is Jesus even better than the Eagles winning the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. But the truth is, you and I answer that question on a daily basis by the choices we make with our time and with our money. You know, we don't have to answer that question verbally. Just look at how we use our stuff. And it speaks to whether Jesus is really better than anything to us. So is Jesus really better than anything? Preeminent, better than anything? Yes, he is. <laughs> Why? For one reason, he doesn't change, he doesn't fade. You know, everything else that we're, we're tempted to love will, will fade. You know, I was thinking of the... The most expensive iPhone is right now called the iPhone X. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know if anyone actually has that. Um, but the iPhone X, if you have it, will one day become your X iPhone. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> um, the greatest feelings of happiness and satisfaction will pass away if they're not rooted in Jesus. But in Jesus alone... There is love that is completely unconditional and everlasting. There's truth 
period. There's the adoption as sons and daughters of the maker and ruler of the universe. There's forgiveness for sin and a clean conscience. There's power to conquer the enemy of your soul. There's power to conquer addictions, the filling of your soul with the Holy Spirit, peace that is beyond understanding, lasting joy that the world knows nothing about. There's mercy when you deserve punishment and grace when you deserve nothing. There's eternal life and there's an inheritance which can never fade, perish, or be defiled, or be stolen, kept in heaven for you. That's, that's amazing. But I'm not done. In him alone there is matchless beauty. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the bright morning star, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. He has no rival as we were singing. There is nothing to compare with him. He has no equal. He is Lord of all. What do you treasure more than Jesus? What price would be too high a price in order to have Christ? Your free time, your money, your status, your reputation, your family, your health, your very life. And yet, Jesus offers himself to each of us as a free gift. It's amazing. Is Jesus really better than anything to you? Verse 19 summarizes who Jesus is. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is God, fully God. He is better than anything because everything else is part of his creation, but he is the creator. All things are made by him, through him, for him, in him. And the days when I try to live as if something else is better than Jesus, they're bad days in the end, right? They might seem good for a little bit, but they end up being bad days. You know, we, we look at our culture and we, we long for explanations of, of mass shootings and, and suicide, addiction, poverty, these, these hard things that happen in our society. And, you know, we don't, of course, have easy answers to any of these things. But, but ultimately, these things are because... The centerpiece of God's creation, you, all humanity, have rebelled against God. All of this that we can't stand about our society, all that terrible violence and pain, is ultimately because we have abandoned God, our maker, our creator, Jesus Christ. Verse 20 summarizes what Jesus did. It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You know, when I was growing up, I, I, could, I never quite understood this concept of being, why do I need to be reconciled with God? I mean, God's a loving God, and I'm a pretty good guy. No, no need for reconciliation there. Um, but the reality was that all I really cared about was me. Um, you know, I, I wanted to have a, I wanted to get a good education when I was in school so I could get a good job and make lots of good money. And I wanted to have a lot of good fun at parties. That, that's really all I asked of life, you know. Um, and 
the reality is I had shut the creator out of my life completely. I said, oh, I'm good with God, but I wanted nothing really to do with God except for him to just leave me alone. Um, and, I, and I even had the arrogance to think, well, if I, you know, I'll keep God around, but kind of have him on the bench just in case my life really gets into trouble, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, say, hey, come, come on in. Come in into the game, God. You know, how arrogant is that, that we can just have God as our bench player that we run to when, when things aren't going too well with our plans? And that was me. Um, you know, I might have said I was just ignoring God. But the reality was I hated God. Now that, we don't use the word hate. That's, that's a very strong language. But what does a polite person do to someone they hate? They ignore them. They kind of just shut them out of their life. And that's what I did with God. I said, hey, God, you know, just stay, stay over there. Stay out of my life. Let me run my own life. It's selfishness. And what does the Bible call that? It calls it sin. Rebellion against our maker. Do we need reconciliation with God? Well, yes, we do. Every one of us have that selfishness, that sin that separates us from our maker that says, thank you very much, God, I'll, I'll take it from here. But, it said, but look at what Jesus did. Through him, oops, keep it on the old slide. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is good news. In Romans 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if we were enemies, when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus came on the mission to reconcile, to bring us back to God. Us who have been his enemies, us who hated him to bring peace between God and me, God and you. That's why he came. So I started today talking about the death of my father. I'm ending today talking about the death of my savior. John 1 has an amazing statement. You think about Jesus the creator it says, he was in the world. Remember, this is the creator of the universe. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He created the world. He was walking in this world. They didn't know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Think of that. I made you, but you don't receive me. What, what was that like for Jesus? But the good news is that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What good news is that? That he would allow us to become his children. Praise God for that. And the question this morning is simply this. Have you received this Jesus? He is the center of everything. He is better than anything have you received this Jesus? And for that matter, are you pushing Jesus to be the center of your life? Are you asking Jesus to take control of your life? 
Or are you more contentious to kind of leave him out in some distant corner of your life? He is better than anything. Let's pray.